Welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast, where each week we talk about all things related to the world of learning and development, including facilitation, instructional design, sales enablement, and so much more. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, and I'm an L&D strategist and career coach, and I'm here to take the guesswork out of becoming an L&D professional and show you how to unlock continued success in your learning and development career. I'm on a mission to quickly develop the next generation of L&D leaders who are looking to create meaningful and engaging learning experiences. So, if you're looking to transition into L&D for the first time, have found yourself accidentally in a training position, or are working up the ranks as an L&D professional already, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to another episode of the Overnight Trainer Podcast. If you're listening in real time, Happy New Year. It's the first Monday back after the new year. Um, hoping you guys all had a great celebration if you celebrated. Uh, we have a really awesome year ahead of us, and I'm excited about that. I'm also excited because today one of my clients is starting her first ever instructional design contract. Uh, she is transitioning out of the classroom, and what's amazing is that this job actually found her. So after working together, you know, we identified her niche, we optimized her resume, her LinkedIn profile, and poof, a company just reached out to her and now the rest is history. So today's her first day. So good luck. You know who you are. Um, and in all honesty, you know, I have a signature overnight trainer method that's now been used countless times. And my goal is to get my clients out of unfulfilling jobs and into their dream L&D career. So if that's you, if you're looking for a new job in this new year, I'm accepting brand new clients and you can actually schedule your free consultation call on my website. So if you go to www.theovernighttrainer.com slash coaching, scroll to the bottom, there is a link that you can click to schedule a 30 minute free consultation call with me. I'd love to talk to you, see if we're a right fit for each other and get you your dream L&D job. Now, on today's episode, I am so excited to have Brie Burden on the show today. Brie is a leader and a change agent in not only the L&D space, but the DEI space as well. And she puts the human back into talent development. Brie's an influential leader. And over the past 10 years, she's risen up in the L&D ranks in sectors such as finance, technology, and automotive. And she's known for causing good trouble, staying authentic to who she is, and for always bringing just a little more kindness to everything she does. Welcome, Brie, to the Overnight Trainer Podcast. I'm so excited you are here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm so pumped. So we met on LinkedIn. I, a post of yours went viral and I do want to talk about that in a, in a little bit. Um, and this is actually one of the first podcasts I've done that I don't really have any notes because you and I have chatted before and our conversations were just so authentic. And so in the spirit of being authentic and talking about authenticity throughout this podcast, um, I made a couple little notes of things I want to make sure to get to, but no questions planned. We're just kind of going to rock and roll. But before we officially get started, before we dive deep, I would love for you to tell us about yourself. Like who's Brie? How, who are you? You know, tell us all about you. And, and also too, like, how did you get into L&D? Because the last time we talked, you have a very interesting story about how you got into L&D in the first place. And I'd love for everyone to hear that. 
Sounds good. Um, Brie is Brie. And it took me a long time to get to the point where I can say comfortably that Brie is Brie. Um, the mask is off. The The preconceived notions are gone. And it's as I have gone through my, my career path, I have, I've discovered that and there is nothing better. And that's one of the things that I want to start propelling other people towards is finding their authentic self, being vulnerable, showing that you can be a true person in both professional and personal life and be able to combine those two. Um, I talk a lot about not being duplicitous, just, who I am at work is who I am at home. It's who I am with my kids. It's who I am with my husband and my family. Um, and it's such a beautiful way to be because that way I don't have to take off the work jacket when I get mm -hmm. home or when I walk out of my home office and yeah. into the kitchen um, <laughs> because that's the reality of it right now. Mm -hmm. But I, um, I was born and raised in Southern California moved to Vegas because there was actually an enrollment freeze on colleges the year I graduated from high school. So there was no California state college that I could go to. And I wow. said, all right, UNLV, here I come <laughs> because UNLV did not require SATs. I saw so, a LinkedIn post that you did about <laughs> tell, tell us. Tell us more. So funny story. Um, I'm a squirrely little thing and I can't sit still, but I'm a really, really good te test taker. So I went in and it was my sophomore year, I think. And I took the PSAT and I damn near got kicked out because I was using my pencils as drums and everything. Cause I had finished each one of the sections before everybody else did. Got an incredible score. My parents were all excited about it. They're like, oh yeah, you're going to be able to get an academic scholarship and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, nah, not taking my SATs. Um, I don't want to do it. <laughs> so luckily UNLV did not require SATs when I went back in the day. Um, and they were just like, anybody want to come? Come on, come on. Come to college. Come to college. <laughs> We've got some great classes. <laughs> my favorite, my two favorite classes were the sociology of deviant behavior. Um, and yes, it, <laughs> uh, was a very eye-opening experience for a 19 year old girl. Uh, yeah. Can imagine. <laughs> And then my last semester in college, um, I took domestic beers and domestic wine tasting classes. So that was my, that was my college experience pretty much. And it was a lot of fun. Um, I did learn a lot and I did have a great time with it, but that was just, I think my first foray into just kind of being myself and, and mm -hmm. discovering what to do. So I just decided that, um, I would stay in Vegas for a little bit longer. It was only supposed to be temporary. I had every intention of moving back and I stayed in Vegas for 11 years. Wow. Yeah. In that 11 years, I worked for uh, MGM Resorts International as an internal auditor. I did sting operations. I did fraud investigations. Um, my nickname was actually the Grim Reaper because there were several <laughs> uh, individuals that 
lost their jobs um, doing illegal things. But I just seem to have a knack for being able to find those numbers and where things went wrong. Um, so it wasn't something that made me feel good, though. Yeah. I was but good you had at a badge. It. You had a badge. I had a, I had a badge. <laughs> and my, my little five foot two self, I thought I was the shit because, you know, everybody kind of looks at you when you're my height and they put their elbow on your head because they think mm-hmm. it's funny mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that. And so I loved being able to have that badge and people saying, yes, ma'am, come on in. It was the key to Vegas. And um, it was just really a great time. And it was where I met my husband. So um, we joke about the only good thing coming out of Vegas was meeting each other. Um, <laughs> but it <clears throat> it really opened up a world to me because I discovered that I didn't like punishing people for something that essentially they really didn't know. Like they knew how to do bad things, but why not know how to do good things? Mm -hmm. And why not know how to do the right things to get that profitability, to help make more money, to get that raise, to do the things you need to do. And that was kind of where I ended up in learning and development. Um, A very dear friend of mine, Tara Furiani, she has been in learning and development for years, um, worked for Dale Carnegie. Um, she's been a CPO, all sorts of different things. And she actually was the one who said, hey, you have a master's degree in secondary education. Teaching high school didn't really work out too well for you because it was right during the financial crisis. And um, I got laid off. So that wasn't working very well. So why don't you come into learning and development? And that was where it just really kind of all happened. And it was amazing. And it was kismet for me. Um, Just getting in there and watching people, watching the light bulb moments happen, watching them actually grasp that knowledge and retain Mm -hmm. it and seeing them thrive really helped me thrive. And it was such a more fulfilling feeling for me than even being in the internal audit and, and, and doing the things that I was doing there. Um, and that really just, that's what got me into it. That's awesome. What position did you, when you first got into L and D, what position did you start at? And then I know since then you've been able to work your way up all the way up to director level, but what position did you start in when you first got into L and D? I started as a sales trainer. I just, she, she took a chance on me and she said, Hey, why don't you come in here and, um, I'll show you the ropes and show you what to do. And I really took to it like a fish to water got in there. I, I was doing facilitation, um, really not knowing what I was doing when I was in internal audit Mm -hmm. because I was teaching and showing and facilitating the rest of my team with how to catch the criminals, how to create the audits. I was creating audits completely from scratch. So going into that and, and my first encounter with facilitation with, with sales reps, um, that was such a trip. That was so much fun. I had fidget spinners for them and everything because <laughs> they, I, I found, I found people that were more squirrely than me. So <laughs> they were, they were my people. Yeah. Uh, and it was just, it was a lot of fun. I moved from doing that into management and leadership training. 
um, because really that was one of the places that I really found a passion for was, was coaching and getting people to reach their potential and pushing them and challenging them and asking those hard questions Mm -hmm. and not only giving, but getting the hard answers back and just trying to figure out what makes them tick in order to get them to what makes them perform. And I've been doing this for the last 10 years and, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. That's amazing. And, you know, for me, like I, when we talked about this before we hit, hit the record button, but I connected with you because I saw one of your posts that went viral on LinkedIn. And I was like, I need to know her. Like I need to know her. I need her to be on my podcast. It doesn't even exist yet. I need to be friends with her. Like I need to know her. Um, and more importantly, I was like, the world needs to know her. So whatever <laughs> way I can do that, like people who I know need, need to know Brie, but in, in your post, you talked a lot about the job hunting process and more specifically, we already kind of mentioned this earlier, earlier on in your introduction, but you know how you were tired. I think you mentioned like shrinking your quirkiness, right. And to mm-hmm. be able to fit into a specific role. So I want to talk more about this specifically because a lot of my listeners, a lot of my clients that come to me, they're transitioning into their first L and D role. They're looking to at least transition into their first L and D role. And what I've seen from a lot of them is that they'll often jump to that first, like the, the first one who bites, they'll jump to that company and jump Don't into that it. role. <laughs> That's where I, where I thought that was going to go, you know, but, you know, versus waiting for, I think you had called it, you know, you're looking for your home and you're waiting for your home. And so why, or I guess my question is like, why is that so important to you? Or, or rather like really what lessons have you learned that have made you feel that way about not shrinking yourself? Um, that is an amazing question. And I really like that because it was, it was very much an epiphany moment for me. Um, I'm the sole income earner in our house. My husband retired and he was a director of surveillance at New York, New York. And when we moved to California, we moved back to California for my position, career changing into learning and development. And surveillance is kind of a niche. Mm-hmm. It's a very small little niche, mostly in Vegas. And I said, you know, what do you want to do? And we talked about wanting to have children too. And so he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm in a position right now where I can retire. Um, and I said, how would you like to just be a stay-at-home dad? And I, I, I shouldn't say just, I hate that word. <laughs> but it was, you know, don't, do we want to put our kids in daycare or do we want them to be at home with, with a parent? And so he decided to be the stay at home dad. And we made this promise to each other that this was how our roles were going to work. And it works out beautifully. And that's another thing about being an authentic person in my previous life, before I had this epiphany of being authentic, I would never have thought of my husband being a stay-at-home dad, because that's not a societal norm. We're not sticking into the social construct of what has been created and what is expected. But I'm sorry, fuck that. Mm -hmm. My husband is the best stay-at-home dad you will ever meet in your entire life. His life revolves around those children. And so it's my job to make sure that I provide for my family. And in In doing that, when I got laid off, I was of the mindset where I thought, 
I need to have a job right now. I'm just going to take whatever job. And I, I, I did that. I did that for three weeks. I am one of those assholes who worked in a job for three weeks and then said, peace out because I couldn't do it. I, the day one felt like I was suffocating and an instructional designer is a learning and development professional is a graphic designer is a creative position. Mm -hmm. You cannot just pull things out of your ass at whim and expect it to fly. It has to go through a thought process. It has to go through your rituals of being able to make sure that it does what it needs to do and that the end result is there. Learning and development is not mechanical. Mm -hmm. And I know there are a lot of people who are gonna say it is, and you're paying them $1,500 to get a certification. Just gonna say it. It's not that way. And it hasn't ever been that way for me. And I will hang from my ceiling fan at two o'clock in the morning if the mood strikes me so that I can create some sort of puppet on character animator for a course, because I feel that's the way that it's going to be better received than having Sarah McLaughlin sing Angel and you have like pictures of sad people because it's a very serious topic. You know, you just... I'll work at eight o'clock at night. I'll work at nine o'clock at night because I have the freedom to be able to do that when I'm in a job that is my home Mm -hmm. because I have that flexibility and I'm looking for that flexibility. If your creativity is, is censored, then how are you going to be able to be that advocate for the learner that you need to be? And so I think that there's, there are a lot of people who are just going to go straight for that one particular job. I've turned down jobs and it takes, oh, it takes so much gumption to be able to do that because it's scary. You want the, oh, that person's going to take a chance on me. I'm going to go for it. But are you really going to get and thrive in that kind of situation Or are you just going to be writing articles and writing copy and doing the same thing day in and day out without getting any sort of progress from your learner? Yeah. I think, you know, you and I talked about this last time we first, we first chatted, but, you know, I had someone tell me a while ago, it's recruiting and talent acquisition. They're the ones that um, you know, stir the, stir the Kool-Aid, but it's learning and development that really gives it to people, right? Like, here you go, have a sip, here's some more, keep it coming. We're going to keep pouring it for you. And I have found personally for me, and I think you, you as well, and talking about your experiences of when you go to these companies that you don't like their Kool-Aid or their Kool-Aid's made badly, it's so, but you still have to serve it. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's the part where I think, us being creatives. And this is, it's, it's an art and it's a science. There's both to it, but it is, it is a creative industry. And I don't think people give it enough credit of being a creative industry that we have, but 
when you are then forced to force within your box or forced to, to pour this coolie that you don't believe in, uh, it becomes really, really difficult. And I think the job then becomes really daunting and really exhausting. And it's really hard to keep putting that Kool-Aid out when you're like, nope, that like, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in this. And so I often tell my clients as part of figuring out we figure out what their niche is. So I always say not everyone has to be an instructional designer. It seems to be the first thing people think about being when it comes to training, which again, nothing wrong with instructional designers. You've been one, I've been one. We love instructional designers, but there's more to it. But in addition to figuring out what your, what your niche is and what that role is for you, it's the next part of it is figuring out what kind of company do I want to work for? What kind of mm-hmm. values do I want them to have? What kind of culture do I want it to be like? How do I want it to feel like home for me? Because it's so hard in this job and in this industry of learning and development to really love what you're doing. If you can't, if your, if your values don't align with the company's values. Completely. And that while it might be a little controversial, especially because I kind of toe the line between communication and learning and development, because mm-hmm. I still have my, my, um, my bachelor's was in communication. I wanted to go into public relations and do all of that kind of stuff. So I still kind of have a soft spot for that. But I truly believe that learning and development in a department in, in an organization is the one source of truth. Amen. And everything, <laughs> everything needs to come through learning and development. We need to be one of the first people to know. We need that voice at the table. We need to have that setback schedule. We need to be the ones that are creating the culture and the tone in the organization. If you have some crap e-learning courses that nobody wants to take, how much are they going to be excited about doing the job that you want them to do? Mm-hmm. Or are they just going to half-ass it and get by and make that paycheck? And a lot of that all comes from, oh, I've got to take another test. Oh, I have to take another e-learning. I'm just going to click through it. We, it's our job to make these things interesting. It's our job to make people thirsty for knowledge. And that's what we need to do in the organization. Yeah. And that's where that that aligning comes from. And you also, I remember in that same post, you talked about transferable skills outside of the corporate world. And you and I have talked about this before, and I've (laughs) talked to several other people too, about, you know, that they've been passed up for jobs in L&D and high level jobs in L&D at that, because they you know, didn't have like subject matter expertise or, you know, even looking a lot of my clients too get nervous about going into L and D because they're like, I don't have any corporate background in this. And so first I want you to talk to us about the bad moms club. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like that's fair game because you put it on LinkedIn. And then then I really want to hear your thoughts about how that translates back into L and D and kind of how you would sell that in an interview if it came up. Oh, definitely. it has come up. <laughs> oh, it has. It has. Um, because I, because I put it out there, I've put it in my biography on LinkedIn. Um, so we moved from Southern California to Charlotte, North Carolina, four and a half years ago now. Um, and the first three years that I lived here, I was a completely remote employee, uh, with my company before I got laid off from that job. And, the, um, our community has 1200 homes in it, but I got a wild hair one particular day. This was probably three and a half years ago. 
and somebody had happened to make a comment on one of our, on our community page about, um, being a shitty mom. Um, she was apologizing for something that one of her kids did. It was completely innocuous. I think he like ran over somebody's sprinkler or something. And she just, she said that, and it just triggered something in me, um, being a new mom myself. And I had just given birth to my third child. So we had three kids under the age of four. And I thought, no, that's not something that a shitty mom does. You're not a shitty mom. You're a bad mom because we're all bad moms, <laughs> especially if you watch the movie. And, and that's kind of where it came from. The monologue at the end that Mila Kunis talks about, um, you know, let's just all be bad moms. We're going to screw up our kids. We're going to pay for their therapy lesson. I, I, their therapy session, not lesson, <laughs> could be a lesson. Yep. <laughs> when, when I tell my kids no for something and they run away screaming, which invariably a toddler is going to do that when you tell them no, I, I, as they're running away, I just kind of shout at them, I'll pay for this session of therapy. Okay. <laughs> Because we, we are going to screw up. And so what I created was the Bad Moms Club. And we, <laughs> we have a lot of fun. Um, but there are now 526 moms in the group. 526 moms. And that is the only, there, there are some fur, fur moms too, um, <laughs> because I'm not going to, I'm not going to exclude anybody from that. Our Sometimes only us fur rule, moms feel like bad moms too. <laughs> right. Um, one of the biggest things that I am the most proud of with the group is the camaraderie and the community that we have developed. 520 moms on a Facebook group, and we have not had one single instance of drama or vitriol that has been spouted. And I'll tell you, I had a mom the other day post a question about if, um, if you were going to get the COVID vaccine. And I saw that post and I went, Oh Lord, I've been talking about how we've not had any drama in this group. And you're going to ask that question. What is this going to have? And I went through, there were over 150 comments. Not one single person said anything negative or created an argument within there. And I truly believe that that starts with the leadership at the top. I started this group with there, this is a safe place. You can post in here anything that you need. If you are having a hard day, if you have given your kids chips for dinner for six days in a row because <laughs> you just can't get yourself out of bed, post about it. Ask for help. Come to us. We do meal trains. We do um, events. We do community organization events. We do charity events. Um, when Ahmad Arbery was killed and Black, Life Move Black Lives Matter movement started to completely skyrocket, um, I saw a need because I saw some of the women of color that were in our group, they were hurting and they were crying. And I reached out to several of them and I said, this isn't my place. 
this is your voice and I refuse to speak over you. However, we need to do something and we need to start this conversation. So Facebook groups also allow lessons and courses and you can take all of these sort of things. So we have a whole section in there for Black Lives Matter. We have a whole section in there that's dedicated to Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. And we've hosted workshops for the moms that are in the community for Dare to Lead. Um, the whole month of November, we did um, a daily gratitude. The whole month of December, we've done every day, there is a random act of kindness challenge. The month of January, we will be doing every day, we will choose courage over comfort and there will be a new prompt every day. And I just constantly challenge them um, because I do believe very much in transferable skills and in not being duplicitous and in being authentic. The things I do at home, I'm gonna transfer that over to work. I mean, I, and I, I posted this the other day on Christmas day. My kids, um, Santa, and, and trust me, I'm punishing myself for this as we speak, <laughs> Santa gave them slinkies for Christmas. Oh. Within an hour, all three of them were tangled up. <laughs> so I'm adding professional slinky detangler to my resume because there isn't anything else that shows you more patience than detangling a slinky. And I... I, I, I did do this in an interview and actually I did get the job, unfortunately, because of COVID I lost said job. Um, I started talking about some of my transferable skills. At that point, I was talking about some patience because I had a ball of yarn that was completely tied up into a knot and I was trying to crochet a beanie. Well, with, if you're going to dedicate that much patience to a ball of yarn, you can certainly dedicate that much patience to a person, especially mm -hmm. when you're coming from a point of they are doing their best. And that's a transferable skill. And I welcome people to talk about their transferable skills, talk about the things that you do in your daily life. One of my favorite questions to ask a hiring manager when they are interviewing me is what, what do they like to do in their spare time? And some of the reason for that, I have two different reasons for that. One is, you know, I want to see what their interests are and how they align because I want to know the whole person that mm -hmm. I will be working with. But the second part of it, it tells me if they scoff at it and say, oh, what spare time? That's a red flag for me to know that there's not really too much of a work-life balance in there. And since that is one of my number one things about finding my home, if they can't tell me about their hobbies and what they do in their spare time and they laugh about it, then they're not going to take it seriously when I say that I need to go to my child's fun run and jogathon and go meet them for lunch at the elementary school. So, um, I think there's a lot of interview questions and we should be interviewing the hiring managers just as much as they are interviewing us. Yeah. I think that goes back to finding your home, right? Uh -huh. Like, I think I, that's such a valid question. I've ever, never even thought to 
to ask that in an interview myself, because it, it is so telling what that answer is. And I've, ha- I've had in interviews, people scoff and I, I probably done it myself in interviews as, as the hiring manager of, of yep. scoffed at it. Right. Because I have I've worked for companies where I've had no work-life balance and that sounded hilarious to me. What, mm-hmm. what, is, what is free time, right? What is free time? <laughs> what you you want to explain it, that to yeah, me? Yeah, I've had free time. Like, <laughs> what is that? So I think it's so interesting too of like those thinking about those transferable skills from the outside and being able to explain them, but then also being able to ask the right questions to, to almost gain more insight and see okay, what is it that they, I, I also think that question is great too, because maybe then you find something in common, right? Like maybe they're like, mm-hmm. oh, I love to crochet. And you're like, oh, me too. Like, or I just picked up this hobby or, oh my gosh, have you ever been stuck with a piece of yarn that's balled together? And it's like, then you start to create that relationship. So I think that's so important. I think it, that too ties into the authenticity of it, right? Of mm-hmm. we are, you talked about it earlier, like we're uh, offline, like humans to humans, like mm-hmm. we're all just humans. And it's less about just fitting into this cookie cutter expectation of what you think that person wants you to be and more about getting to that level, that level of, of humanity. And you talk so much about authenticity and that's what drew me. That's why I was like, I need to be friends with this girl because she is so real and authentic. And, you know, when you think about authenticity in learning and development specifically, what comes up for you? Um, I think one of the biggest things is just acknowledging the elephant in the room. Learning is hard. You're stretching your brain. It's not comfortable. And it's not comfortable from the, from the point of the learner because you are doing something different and it could be scary. So I think when we acknowledge that on the front end, especially in any sort of courses that are challenging you, like, like this is a, this is a stretch course, or this is something that you've never seen before. I think if we could just take a step back and have that humility of, we know this is hard and just communicate that right up front. We recognize this, we see you and we understand that, that your neuroplasticity is, is, we need to engage that right now. And we really need to, to stretch your brain. It's not going to be fun. It might not be pleasant. We're going to do our best to make sure that you do have that fun and that you are engaged, but it's going to be worth it in the end. And like, like we were talking about earlier when I said, just that word is like the bane of my existence, that and perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I use them colloquially and I shouldn't because when you say, oh, it's just an e-learning course. Well, you've just completely invalidated. Yeah. I've diminished everything. It. You've diminished everything that, w- that we just did by saying it's just an e-learning course, or this is just a soft skills course, but it's not because those things are growing you. And those things are changing you, whether you want to or not, because you've experienced it. So just recognize it, acknowledge it, get it out there in the open so that we can have that equal playing field and play ball. Yeah. What are your thoughts? You mentioned it a little bit earlier about being subject matter experts. So what is your thoughts on L&D professionals having to be subject matter experts as well? Yeah. 
Um, so I, I have had this argument and I, I, I was hoping you would come back to it because I was like, I think I'm going to forget <laughs> that I want to talk. I will about never this. come. I will never forget to come back to this question. <laughs> I have very strong feelings about it too, but I'd like to hear yours. <laughs> so I actually got into an argument with a hiring manager one time. Obviously I did not get the job. Um, <laughs> and, and he, I think got the grasp of my stance on it still, I didn't change his mind well enough. So I definitely need to, um, work on my argument a little bit better, or just, I think other people just need to have more awareness around it. We do not need to be an expert in the field. She's clapping ladies and gentlemen. She is clapping. <laughs> I'm just picturing that clap emoji, you know, right. <laughs> We are subject matter experts in learning and development. I have worked in healthcare. I have worked in gaming. I have worked in finance. I have worked in automotive. I have worked in communication, technology. I still did learning and development because I know people and I know learning and development. You can give me all of the content. That's why we have subject matter experts in the organization. That's why we rely on them. That's why you identify them for me to work with so that I can do my unicorn poop sprinkles and magic with the learning and development side of it because I don't need to be an expert in your particular organization. If I did need to be an expert in your organization in order to be effective in your organization, I need to work there in every single department and cross-train and everything. I might as well be the CEO. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And I think it's, I've heard it on, on multiple ends. I've heard it on hiring manager's side saying like, oh, you know, even looking at job postings, right? Like, oh, we'd like for you to be, you know, have finance background or sometimes I see too for learning and development, like for instructional designers, like have an MBA. And I'm like, what? Like more power to you having an MBA, but why is that, why is that preferred for you? Um, and I could talk all about education and learning development. That's a topic for another day, but, you know, I, I find it also too with clients that I'm working with and, you know, people that I'm, that are coming to me, feeling that fear, right? Like, well, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to apply to work for this, this bank because I've never worked for a bank before. And for me, like I did learning and development for retail. I had never worked in retail my entire life. Growing up, I always worked in, in restaurants, like through mm -hmm. college and grow in high school, always worked in restaurants until I then worked in sales and then be, got into learning and development. So there's such that it's like such an unfortunate wrong, you know, understanding, misunderstanding that Completely. people in L and D need to be subject matter experts. And it's to your point that you made, and we've talked about this before too, like we do need to be subject matter experts in learning and development. Like exactly. it is an art and it's a science. And because we have the art and the science, we can then go into any industry and do it. So my, what I'm hoping that people listening to this podcast who are looking to transition into L and D don't fear, like don't fear. You don't have to have, you know, a, be a subject matter expert in that industry. You can go and you can, you can do learning development anywhere. Uh, and it's anywhere. about talking about those transferable skills and 
you know, it's, it's so much more than subject matter expertise. It, it really is. So it's happy to, I mean, obviously I knew we'd be on the same page there, but there's, there's, you know, I saw people talking about it going back and forth on LinkedIn about, you know, should they be, should they not be? And it's like, I guess if you are like for me personally, in my, in my, in my day job, I guess I could be considered a subject matter expert, but I'm not anymore. Like, so mm-hmm. I, I was, I was on the sales and operations side, fell into training, but I could not operate a system right now. Mm-hmm. Like I could, I could, I could not do that. I'm, I'm 10, 11 years removed from actually having done the day-to-day job. Am I surrounded by it? Yes. So I know the context. So it makes my job a little bit easier, I'd say, but I could not tell you how to go into the system and pull a certain report. No, no, no freaking clue. There's no, there's no way yet. I make very effective learning programs. And so I think it just, I guess my question to you too, would be like, how do we, how do we break that barrier? Like you said, it was like misinformation, but also, you know, just people not understanding how can we break past that? You know, I, I don't have that answer because I'm, I still struggle with it. I still have those conversations when I get into interviews with people. Um, I mean, currently right now I, I am in a job. Um, it's a contract job and it's with financial tech. So now that adds six different fields, I guess you could say that, that I have now been in. So that actually, the more industries that I have dipped my toe into, the more I have backing of that argument of, I have successfully created learning programs within each of these industries. Bam, here you go. This is proof in the pudding that I can do my job effectively I just need, I just need your subject matter expert. I need you. And see, that's one of the other things though. Do the people within the organization actually trust the individual that they have named as their subject matter expert in order to be able to give us that? Because I've seen that a lot too, where they just name somebody who who has the ability to be able to do it and you go and you create this whole learning program based on what that subject matter expert has given you and you've given it, given this program to somebody and they're like, Oh no, 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 no. That's not what we need to do. Have you ever experienced that? Mm -hmm. Then you go in and you say, well, you identified this individual as your subject matter expert. So hindsight's very 2020. I've gotten a lot smarter about that now. And so I insist on multiple subject matter experts and we have a discovery session after I have focus grouped and interviewed each individual person. And I say, all right, here's all of the information I have compiled. Here's the process as I see it. Here are the gaps as I see it. Now, why don't y'all talk? Because it's obvious that you don't. Yeah. <laughs> here's some coffee. Here's some wine. Let's have a conversation about it. Let's have a conversation because it's really, really good advice though. And I think especially someone who is new to L and D someone's coming in and they're a first time, especially if they're coming in as a first time, like instructional designer, right. To be able to, to know, to ask for that, 
right? So a lot of times you're being told, here's your subject matter expert, go make training. <laughs> and that's yeah. what you're kind of left with. But to have that empowerment to going back to what you said earlier too, about like being your authentic self and being able to say that, and that was more towards a learner, but like, this is hard and I don't have all the tools that I need rather than just bullshitting your way through it and hoping that you get a good result, which you probably won't mm -hmm. go being, having the, the gumption to be able to go back and say, Hey, this subject matter expert is great. I'm enjoying working with them. And I also think it'd be really beneficial to have two or three more to make sure I'm filling in all those gaps yep. and present presenting it that way. So I think that's really good advice to someone who is just starting out you know, whether you're in training, whether you're in doing instructional design, sales enablement, I think that's a huge thing too for sales enablement. Yes. Uh, trying to figure out those gaps, like who are, who are those who are those people I need to be talking to more than more than just one person. So I think that's such good advice. Thinking about people entering in to L and D that we often take for granted because as you move your work your way up, you can you feel like you have more authority to ask for more mm -hmm. help and ask for more resources. Whereas for starting out, you're like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go over here in my little cubicle and I'm going to create this e-learning and, you know, I don't want to bother anyone or I want it to be great. And I think what makes it great is having that, like we said, gumption to be able to speak up and say, Hey, I need more resources. Yeah. One of, and, and people who are just getting ready to get started into L and D you have the biggest advantage right now. And I wish I could go back to that, but I'm a decade into it now and I'm up you know, relatively high within it as well. So I can't feign that naivete that I would love to be able to have. Um, some of my favorite things to do when I first get in to a learning engagement, um, and it's much like when I would do audit engagements as well. Again, that's that transferable skill. Take what you have from your previous career. I guarantee you, you've learned stuff along the way that you can apply in learning and development mm -hmm. because it is so broad and it is so human centric that you have all of the skills and the skill set to be able to do what you need to do to engage an individual. If you can have conversations with individuals. If you can, if you can be a human, you can teach a human. And when you're first getting into it, sit back, watch, ask questions. Even if you're getting into an industry that you've been in before and you know that industry, ask what they do. Ask what they know. Be that brand new individual who knows nothing. Ask your questions. Ask open-ended questions all the time. They sh there should never be any closed-ended questions. Always open-ended questions. And when you see somebody doing a process and you think that there might be another way to do it, Say, have you considered and go into that too? Because nine times out of 10, when you start seeing the gaps as a learning and development individual, you also have the ability and the empowerment to be able to change a process for the better mm -hmm. because you see it all and you should be able to see all aspects, aspects of it in order to bring it all together. It's amazing. Yeah. I think it's great advice. And that kind of leads me to my, my last question and kind of wrap everything up. How can people who are transitioning into L and D for the very, very first time show up as their most authentic selves? Uh, show the humility for one and just be like, you know what this, I know 
I know in my gut that I can do this. I have taken the initiative to get my Articulate Storyline free trial, my Camtasia free trial, any of them. Create a video about yourself. Hi, my name is Bree. Do something with it just to show that you have that innovation and you have those skills and you have the ability and the mindset to think outside of that box that everybody is trying to put you in. People want something new, especially right now. We are so inundated with pandemic fatigue that everyone is thirsty and hungry for something new. Be that new person. Be that individual who's able to be like, you know what? I don't know all the answers. I'm not perfect, but I can get your people to learn. Just give me that chance. I love it. I love it. And I I love the authenticity. And I think that speaks volumes, right? So many hiring managers are able to see through, through the bullshit and see if you're trying to give them cookie cutter responses. And I think if being able to say, Hey, here's, here I am, here's where I've come from. Here's what I've done. Here's what I can bring to the table. And here's what I don't know. And I'm excited to learn. So Mm -hmm. Brie, you are amazing. Everyone needs to follow you and to find you and to be inspired by you. Where can people find you and connect with you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Bree Burden, B-R-E-E-B-U-R-D-E-N. All right, Simple as enough. that. I'm not I'll that fancy. Sh- I'll put it in the show notes too, so people know where to find you. <laughs> so Bree, thank you so much. I, this was so much fun and I'm so glad that LinkedIn brought us together and me too. You know, I am so, so inspired by you and I just need you to keep being you because you inspire me to be me. I will be the meest I can be because that's, that's all there is. I love it. All right. Thanks, Brie. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Brie. She is an incredible human and such a great thought leader in the L&D space. If you liked the episode, if it resonated with you, please uh, rate, review, subscribe, share it with all your friends who are looking to get into L&D. I'd love to have you. Um, And I've also received some great feedback and some LinkedIn messages from some of you. So thank you so, so much. Um, You can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm Sarah Canistra. I'd love to hear from you what you'd like to hear more about. So feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn at Sarah Canistra, and I'd love to create episodes that really, truly resonate with you. So have a wonderful, wonderful day and happy learning until next week. See you later.